Nothing starts the morning off quite like a good old Britney Spears song. Good morning. You're listening to 88.7 FM Radio Hofstra University broadcasting live from the Richard Philip Cavalera Studio South. Welcome to the Monday edition of Hofstra's Morning Wake Up Call, the best edition of Hofstra's Morning Wake Up Call. Where we're talking Long Island nightlife, national news, and international issues. I'm your producer, Danny DiCrescenzo, joined by Emily Campbell and Alexa Servo. Today, we will be discussing the Tongan volcanic eruption, the Great Resignation, as it's called, in a new hit online game called Wordle. Alexa and Emily, good morning to you. We are experiencing some coastal flooding out in the world. How are you holding up? Pretty good, I guess. I mean, I'm doing good. It's a little cold outside, but I got no complaints. It was a little bit of a rough morning, a little hard to get up this morning, I think because of the weather, but I made it here. We both, we all made it here. Yeah, I think it's good. I was worried because I left my snow brush from my car at home when I drove up here for the weekend, and I saw a lot of snow last night, and then it just poured, and I was worried that I was going to have to drive with that on my roof, but luckily I didn't, so I'm glad I was able to drive here pretty quickly. Yeah, the snow didn't last very long last night at all. Thank goodness. <laughs> I was worried it was, but it's still freezing cold. Oh, yeah. It's freezing cold in this building, honestly. Yeah. We yeah, it is. It's, it's a little too cold in here for this early in the morning, but I guess it wakes us up, right? It does its job. Yeah, I was calling the basketball game in our mixed studio, and we we kept saying, and welcome back from the igloo here at WRHU because it's so <laughs> cold. <sighs> I'm just glad I'm out of there. It's a little better in here. But, man, it is – we have a lot, We have a packed show today. We have a lot of stuff to talk about, and – I think we're going to start off with a bang, a literal bang, a volcanic eruption. Alexa, take us through this incredible natural phenomenon <laughs> that the social media world exploded over the other day. So um, an underwater volcano in the South Pacific exploded in a violent eruption on Friday, sending clouds of ash and gas steam into the air. And unfortunately for the people of Tonga, it also sent large tsunami waves. So this eruption had effects across the entire Pacific, and tsunami advisories were issued for New Zealand, Japan, and the western coast of the United States. Um, the size of this undersea volcanic eruption drew the attention of social media, especially early Saturday morning. So above the Earth, satellites caught the explosion and the massive shockwave it sent, and these videos from the explosion are posted on social media. And on the ground, unconfirmed videos reportedly showed the aftermath of the explosion as large waves flooded coastal areas. News about tsunami warnings and evacuation orders were spread quickly across social media. Um, and this event is something that is obviously affecting people all over the world. And the amazing thing is that all of these people have connected through social media, setting updates and new information um, when they figure it out. They send it out right away, well wishes, prayers um, to everyone being affected. Yeah, I think we live in a world where nothing just happens anymore. There's always going to be documentation, social dialogue about anything. And I think it's pretty hard to miss a volcanic eruption. And you, your first inclination is to hope everyone affected is okay. But these videos that I was looking in the article you put in the rundown, I mean, they were some of them were pretty incredible. Just the tsunamis, like from a natural perspective of wow, the Earth did that. Yeah, that. and that's why it it drew so much attention uh, to me. Anyway, like my own personal nerdy enjoyment is like natural disasters because I think they're so fascinating that like. Things can be so calm one minute, and then the next minute there's a volcanic eruption. And that's crazy. And there's 
like all these satellite videos that are posted on Twitter, I think I watch the video like three or four times from a bunch of different angles. And I just like every time I watched it, I got excited about it. Not excited, I guess, because that's kind of a bad word to use considering the circumstances, but just it just looks cool. I don't know. (laughs) Personally, you know, tsunamis aren't something that you're typically going to get here in New York. But, you know, it's scary to think about a wave like that. So I was at work when all of the videos and information started surfacing. One of the really notable ones I saw was a family. They just finished choir practice, and they were filming outside the window. The waves were just coming up on the coast, and it was so cool to watch. Fortunately, everyone reported that they were safe who was recording that video. It reminds me of when Hurricane Sandy hit New Jersey, and you saw the news. I don't know why they sent news reporters to the beach during Hurricane Sandy, but they did. You know, they always do. And they're like, it's crazy out here. It's very windy out here. Uh, back to you in the studio. I'm like, all right, well, why'd they send this poor guy or poor woman over there? But Yeah, we can walk outside. We know it's windy. Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> and you see the gigantic waves hitting the beach. I mean, obviously, no one's on the beach, but yeah. there's some party that's intrigued to see the norm- the normally very calm waves that huge. And I felt that same feeling watching this, um, the effects of this volcanic eruption, the sonic booms and the tsunamis. Yeah. It affected it, a lot of the world. From what it looks like on like the west coast of the United States, I saw California and I saw Oregon, I believe. It looks like they're, they're called tsunami surges. So mm-hmm. they're just like really, really big, big waves, um, almost like a high tide kind of wave, a little bit bigger than high tide. So it looks like there's not – I mean, obviously there's damage to the houses that are on – that coast, but I feel like it could be much more catastrophic, and it's it's a really good thing that it's not. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it wasn't even the size of them. It was just, like, the wave kept going. There was no end to it. It just kept moving inshore. Yeah. Should we start Volcano volcano TikTok for more of this incredible content? Volcano TikTok? Yeah. That's up to you. You want to <laughs> run Volcano TikTok? Yeah, just, like, a bunch of videos set to some, I don't know, ambient music of just volcanic eruption, like safe, safe volcanic, volcanic eruptions. eruptions. <laughs> <laughs> That's a misnomer. I feel like, I feel like some people would enjoy it for sure. Yeah. And there, there's always a group of people that would enjoy anything. I would definitely enjoy yeah. it. Yeah. Natural disaster TikTok. Natural disaster TikTok. I think I might tune in just yeah. for a little bit. <laughs> I just think there's something beautiful about it. You know, there's something goes from so calm. Like even you watch the satellite videos, it's so calm. And then all of a sudden, there's this cloud of smoke. And you're like, where did that come from? Yeah. You know? Just, I don't know. Out of nowhere. It's like a Randy Orton RKO on oh Monday gosh. Night Raw. <laughs> Remember yeah. when that was a big meme? The RKO? Yeah. Oh, yes, I do. And the John Cena phone tap? Yeah. Yeah, I do, actually. I do remember that. Yeah. <laughs> my my family was, were big into WWE for a while. And I don't, I don't know why we stopped watching it. We just kind of gave up, I think. I don't know. It, it it got stale after, you know, event, eventually got kind of stale, and then er, the same people kept winning, and the, you know, there's only so many times you can see someone get hit in the back with a chair before it gets boring. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know what, it's, yeah, you have a point. It's like their one thing, it's like, oh, we got the chair, oh, we hit someone on the back with the chair, unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, it was the same thing over and over again. <laughs> You're kind of right, maybe that's why we stopped watching it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, my boy. family doesn't really watch wrestling. We maybe tried to get into it for a little bit when my younger brother started it. But, you know, a 10-year-old boy wrestling is not really what you're seeing on TV. Yeah. It's not the same thing. You don't really see yourself in that. 
See, my dad used to watch it all the time. And I remember when I was younger, I never wanted to go near it. And I would try to watch it. I'm like, dad, I don't want to watch this anymore. <laughs> I would like, I would hate it. And then as I got older, I started to like it. So it was cool. Although John Cena, now he's a movie star. So I see True. him in movies more than I do in wrestling. How did we go from natural disasters to WWE wrestlers? Magic. I don't know Morning how that show magic. I lost, I lost track of the are, conversation. Are you, are you enjoying this conversation? I am enjoying the conversation. I'm just confused as to how we got here. you said coming out of nowhere. And um, my my right, first instinct right. was thinking of that Randy Orton. Right. Me, Out of nowhere, Randy Orton. <laughs> RKO. Well, going back to the natural disasters that we somehow got to John Cena from. <laughs> um, so obviously, like the TikTok you said, they exploded on social media, specifically like Twitter. Yeah. Had a lot of stuff because mm-hmm. everybody goes to Twitter when they have news to share. So. I don't know. Do you guys have Twitter accounts that you like keep track of this stuff? Because I know like if I'm looking for something that's trending, I immediately go to Twitter. I have a Twitter account, but I never use it. And that, I think I should start using it. That's where I first saw the news because while I was at work, I did a quick Twitter check to see what's trending. And it was right at the top. I was like, guys, there's tsunamis. Yeah. Yeah. Twitter is definitely the place to go if, if you want to know what's going on and that's where people post you know their information and their videos i don't i feel like if you're gonna post something that's important you're not gonna go on instagram and pick out a picture to go with it before you post it you know i feel like it's gonna go straight to twitter because that's like the quickest way to get information out yeah i love reading twitter beef especially and i love i I go to twitter i go to twitter first for anything whether it's like celebrity beef that i find strangely strangely satisfying or for looking at tsunamis, because I know Twitter's probably going to be the first place it goes. Instagram is slow when it comes to stuff getting on there. It's slower. Oh, definitely. But that's, it's probably just because Instagram is more for the aesthetic rather than, you know, the information. That's, yeah. that's the thing, is if you're going to post something on Instagram, it's, it's, you have to have a plan. You have yeah. to plan it out. You have to have the picture picked. You have to know exactly what you want to say. Twitter, it's just like, this is what's going on. I'll post another tweet in five minutes when I figure out, you know, the rest of the information. No one wants to scroll through seven or eight Instagram posts to get a bunch of different information yeah. when you could just go on Twitter and get it all within a couple tweets. Did you guys ever live tweet? I did for a class, actually. Oh, that's cool. My my first semester uh, in the fall, actually, I did a live tweet event as a for a grade, actually, in my journalism class. So I, I think I did, uh, we got to pick what event we were live tweeting. I did the Dancing with the Stars season premiere, which was fun, but it was so scary because I had never done that before. Keeping I did up with everything. one of the, Hofstra was hosting the NCAA men's lacrosse semis here over the summer and I live tweeted that, you know, it was, it was interesting, but it just, it kept, I kept like type, I couldn't type fast enough because the game was so fast. I'm like, oh, uh, Rutgers just scored a goal. Oh, no, no, UNC just answered back. Oh, Rutgers scored again. Yeah, that was exactly the thing when I was when I was watching Dancing with the Stars. It was like, okay, so this is because I I thought you know I'd have a little bit of time between the dances to like figure everything out. But there's so many dances on Dancing with the Stars. You realize you're getting really repetitive, and you're like, oh, they did so great. And then you're like, oh, well, this person did great too. And then you're like, well, how can I switch this up? Because I didn't want to say they did bad because I liked all the dances. I was like, I'm not going to lie and be like, oh, they did terrible. So I I don't love live tweeting. I do love Twitter, though. Personally, I've never live tweeted. However... There are a lot of people on my orbit, especially for certain shows I watch, that once it's live, everybody's live tweeting it. So you can't even go on Twitter when your show's live because 
that's where the spoilers are, unfortunately. Yeah, live tweeting is can be fun if you aren't if you don't have insane anxiety about it. But speaking of live tweets and thinking about what people will follow, what does get people's attention on social media? Alexa and I had, did a great did a great interview with Dr. Jenna Drenton from Loyola. Chicago associate marketing professor and acting chair of the marketing department about social media and digital marketing in 2021, 2022. Wasn't that a fun interview to do, Alexa? It actually really was, especially because it was my first one, uh, Mm -hmm. my first interview that I've done for the station. So it was just like a nice experience for me. Yeah. And it's chock full of interesting tidbits about, you know, how social media gets your attention and what marketers and content creators are, are looking for in our modern internet headspace and i think without further ado let's listen to what dr drenton had to say to alexa and i i'm danny digresenzo joined by alexa servo for the hofstra morning wake-up call and we're here with dr jenna drenton acting chair of the marketing department and associate professor of marketing at loyola university chicago today we will be discussing the social media world and online marketing dr drenton thank you so much for taking the time to join us today thank you for having me so our first question for you is What would be the ideal content playbook for digital marketing in today's day and age? Oh, that's a great question. I think when we used to think about content marketing uh, and content online, it was very passive. And today I like to think about content as brand stories. So how are we going to tell compelling stories in an age where it's very hard to keep consumers' attention in a constantly scrolling internet age. So our next question is, how has social media in recent years allowed for greater levels of activism across all platforms? Yeah, um, social media has been great at being able to democratize access to uh, allow people to raise their voices in ways that perhaps we didn't see in previous ages of media. So we see hashtags like Black Lives Matter and Me Too and Why I Stayed and these activist-oriented hashtags. Uh, One that I'm really interested in right now is trans crowdfund, so how transgender individuals reach out to other people through Twitter to be able to crowdfund for access to anything from healthcare and gender-affirming surgeries to uh, day-to-day groceries and making rent um, because of marginalized experiences that they've had in real life. Um, So the internet really provides access to activism. Um, That said, it also reifies a lot of the sort of oppression and marginalization that we see offline in an online space due to algorithms. And um, a lot of times the things that make it to your For You page on TikTok, um, uh, you know, reproduce what is the sort of norm and ideal of this very white, straight, cisgender identity that gets produced over and over again. And one thing about activism is it really is spearheaded by younger generations. And when it comes to those younger generations, what is driving corporations to market towards them on social media platforms? What is the driving force behind their targeting of them? Yeah, I think companies have to be on social media these days. It's hard to be a company trying to reach consumers of any kind and not have a presence on the internet at some place. Uh, So social media for a Gen Z, for example, is how you get your news, how you get um, access to your friends, how you get entertained. And so brands need to be a part of that conversation 
which is why it's really important for corporations to not just speak at consumers, but really engage with them in that storytelling process and make it a co-creative experience for um, younger people to get involved um, because actually Gen Z, y'all are the experts. Like these are the people that know social media better than a lot of us. And so we have to kind of uh, take a step back and see what are the trends? How are you using this content? And how can we engage with you in a compelling way to be sort of invited to the party? So what are your thoughts on like the massive influx of influencers on social media, like TikTok and Instagram? Oh, I have many thoughts on influencers. <laughs> um, it's, it is a brave new world of influencer marketing. Um, what started as something on YouTube 20 years ago, which is crazy to think that, um, you know, influencers have really been around um, for decades now. And it has become a very professionalized industry with agents and executives and talent scouts and creative directors uh, around this sort of ecosystem of influencers. Um, I think it's a bit of a multi-level marketing scheme because we sell people on this idea that anyone can be an influencer and all you have to do is post this content and you'll get, you know, 20,000 followers and um, all these brands will be sliding into your DMs to just give you money and you can have a cameo account and post your coupon codes on Instagram. Um, but in reality, it's a very precarious industry to be in because you are beholden as the influencer to your audience, to sort of the ups and downs and the current of whether or not they like you or dislike you. And that is the same media that you make your money on is the same media that has the potential to take all of that away. So it's a very precarious industry to be in. Um, but I, I think it, it's also very fun and, and again, sort of democratizing way to give access to, um, you know, the, not the Hollywood executives, but now we as consumers get to decide who becomes famous and celebrities. And a quick uh, side question with that. Why, okay, why is TikTok so successful? Just, we have to ask someone <laughs> like you because it's just a phenomenon that is, has a meteoric rise to quote Ryan Howard from The Office. We, I, I want to know why TikTok is so successful from your perspective. Yeah, uh, TikTok from my perspective is so successful because of, I, I, and probably people say this a lot, it's algorithm, which no one really fully understands. But here's the, here's the key. TikTok figures out what you like based on something called dwell time, which is how long you spend on a video. It's not what you like, what you comment on, what you share necessarily. A big part of how they feed you entertaining content is what you actually spend time watching. And that's a much better predictor of what people say they like, because I could say I like all day long, you know, academic articles on marketing, but in fact, I'm watching like craft videos on TikTok or frog TikTok. I don't, you know, plant TikTok. Um, and so that piece of it, of being able to actually see where your consumer eyeballs are spending their time is what has made TikTok so different than any of the other platforms because they actually know you um, and it sucks you in right away, right? You don't have to choose content to watch. It sort of chooses it for you versus on Instagram or Snapchat or Facebook or um, any of these others, uh, Twitter, you really have to go out of your way to curate your own content where TikTok does the sort of legwork for you. That is very 
very interesting right alexa yeah i, think I didn't crazy. know i i always thought it was based on like likes like the things that i like on tiktok i always thought that like the videos that would come up on my for you page were based on like my past likes and my past comments and stuff i didn't know it was the amount of times like that's weird that's so crazy and it, it is i mean it's based on likes and like there months ago there was a trend going around that people were like go to the, um, uh, you know, settings and, and just press share, but don't share it with anyone. I'm doing a, you know, experiment. And it was really because any sort of interaction gets things to trend on the platform. But this piece of your eyeballs and how much time you spend, because I think about, you know, videos that maybe I would never share with someone, but I've watched them multiple times. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, and then now I'm like, oh, that makes sense why my For You page looks this way. Uh, so yeah, this this piece of your sort of attention and the, the competition for eyeballs is where TikTok has excelled. Oh, most definitely. And you mentioned how there's a lot of, lot of types of TikTok. I remember you just said frog TikTok to what extent do you think that social media in general is becoming more inclusive for both content creators, consumers, and also for advertisers trying to sell their products online? Yeah, I think that it's become more built around communities. So you're able to find your people, find your tribe in a bit um, easier way, so to speak. So if you are interested in some very niche area um, of maybe a hobby or a sport or some entertainment, you know, TV show that you really like, that you can find other people that are really into that same content in a much easier way. So I think that it has, um, it's become inclusive in the way of being sort of exclusive in creating these boundaries and little circles that people can become a part of and feel like you're part of a community more than just um, one person out of the whole internet. You have your own mini internet that you are involved in. So I think in that way, it's, it's created these little inclusive communities around sort of exclusive content. And a quick follow-up on that. What do you think are the benefits and the drawbacks of that tribalization of niches online? Yeah, that's a great question. And there's a really dark side to it. Um, there's a fantastic uh, podcast called Rabbit Hole, if you're interested, that talks all about how we kind of go down these rabbit holes. And um, for example, on YouTube, as you watch videos on YouTube, it's going to say, oh, you like that YouTube video? Let me show you these other ones that you might like. And if it's something like um, white supremacist content, that suddenly now you're in a rabbit hole of white supremacist content. Um, this can work in a really positive way where maybe it's something about like, you know, uh, positive mental health content. And now you're in this rabbit hole of positive mental health content. Uh, but it kind of silos people into these different communities for better or for worse. So uh, our last question is what online consumer culture trends caught your attention in 2021? Yeah, one that I see a lot and I just mentioned um, is this. Uh, trend of mental health. So I think we see more and more influencers um, kind of building their following around mental health conversations, around health education. Um, we see apps that are popping up in this space of digital mental health and being able to access things like um, Calm or Talkspace, which are apps really targeted toward uh, mental well-being and mental health. Uh, so I think we'll see more of that in the in sort of a sign of the times in the midst of an ongoing pandemic and um, trying to create accessible ways that people can care for themselves and care for others is one that 
Um, I've, I've really seen a lot of, uh, in, you know, my, um, research and feed. So, uh, are there any other like specific trends that you think you'll see continue in 2022? I, there's some that I hope continue. <laughs> um, there's, uh, you know, definitely there, this hashtag activism in a positive way, not just being able to click, but actually turn those clicks into actionable um, ways that we can disrupt the status quo. I think the more that we can use hashtags and social media spaces to educate and uh, create sort of activist spaces is fantastic. So I hope that that will continue. I think one thing that TikTok has disrupted is sort of the Instagram perfection idea where it used to be on Instagram, everything was sort of perfectly filtered and this beautifully curated feed and TikTok is like, oh, I happen to be up at 2 a.m. and I filmed this video and now it's going viral. Uh, so I think this sort of like gritty, um, uh, less idealized version of real life experiences has been really refreshing. Uh, and so I think we'll see more of those trends. And then from a brand perspective, I think um, we'll see more and more brands engaging in day-to-day -day conversations. Uh, so it's not these very curated campaigns that are thought out and um, uh, promoted, but commenting on everyday consumers' uh, TikToks or Instagrams, engaging in sort of memeable ways with consumers in more of an everyday experience. All right. Once again, that was acting chair of the marketing department and associate professor of marketing at Loyola University Chicago, Dr. Jenna Drenton. Danny DeCrescenzo and I talked to her about social media and online marketing. Dr. Drenton, thanks again for your time. Thank you. Hofstra's morning wake up call. Morning wake up call. And we are back. Thank you once again to Dr. Drenton from Loyola Chicago for that interview about all things social media. And there were some things I didn't know about, like the, um, the that it tracks what you, how long you pay attention to something. I didn't know that. That probably shocked me the most. When she said that, I think I rethought every TikTok I've ever watched. And I was like, which ones have I watched for a long amount? Because obviously <laughs> there's TikToks. I think they're funny. I like them and I move on. But there's some that I know for a fact I have sat there and I have watched for probably about 10 minutes on end. Yeah, I absolutely thought that they were tracking you through your likes and your comments. And I wasn't liking or commenting on anything, so I thought I was untrackable. They still got you. They got me. They still got you. Well, our next story here is about the workplace, specifically why people are leaving. 2021 now in the past is being talked about as the year defined by when Americans just started to quit their jobs and mass. 40% of Americans were thinking of calling it quits when the year started and between April and September, 40 million did. November saw 4.5 million quitters alone. And when it comes to trying to understand why this is happening, some recent data from MIT Sloan Management showed the top predictors of attrition or loss of employees for companies relative to poor compensation for workers. So the baseline cause is poor compensation. Relative to that, toxic workplace culture was a 10.4 times more likely reason why people were going to quit. Second place, job insecurity reorganization clocked in at only 3.5 times. So basically what that means is that people were 10 times more likely to quit because of a toxic work environment than they were because of lackluster pay. I wanna get your thoughts on this, guys. What do you think about the fact that people are leaving because of a toxic workplace so substantially. So the concept of a toxic work environment, 
usually it's related to the management staff, how everyone's treated in the company by their fellow coworkers. But I think the idea of a toxic work environment stems beyond that because it also can come from the customers and it well, because you see all these customer service industry jobs and retail jobs where people are telling horror stories of customers berating them and just screaming at them for things that are not their fault. It's no wonder that because they're getting this toxicity from the customers and, and the management that they would just quit. No one wants to put up with it anymore. That needs to change. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I think like it's it's understandable. And when I think like when I first read Toxic Workplace, when I was going through the uh, article that you had put on the rundown for us, the first thing I thought of was the customers, especially in like a retail job or working food service. Like you sometimes can have people who are, feel more entitled and feel like they know more than you. And that can lead to people like if you're working there. I wouldn't want someone telling me how to do my job if they don't work there, you know? So I kind of understand that that want to not work there anymore, that want to quit their job. I'm glad you thought of it from the customer side because I thought of it almost exclusively from the workplace side. I mean, there have been some really egregious work things going on. Remember that Zoom call where the CEO fired 900 people? Think it was better.com. I mean, that sounds like a pretty toxic work environment to me. And you think of other indicators of what a poor workplace environment is, bad leadership, as we mentioned with the CEO, cutthroat environment, no enthusiasm, no diversity or inclusion, no recognition of good work and clickiness. These are all symptoms of a toxic workplace. And thinking about how on edge everyone is, I wouldn't, it's not surprising to think that those bad qualities could be more visible and tangible in the modern workplace with everyone on edge yeah. and you can't just the thing that worries me is you can't magically fix these internal issues you can't just raise the pay and expect the problems to go away you have to hire good people you have to instill a good workplace culture and that takes time people will always look for greener pastures if most of the present opportunities are just mud and right it takes a long time for that mud to become a green pasture so the magic there's no magic fix and that's what worries me that People are going to keep going to better jobs, and it's going to leave a majority of employers scratching their heads, wondering how they're going to survive. And sure, they do have—they clearly do have some workplace issues, but you know, it's the business world is lacking any sort of structure right now. Besides, people are leaving, and it can go back to the customers, as you said, because with the retail jobs, it's it equally falls on the customers to respect the workers, and you guys clearly have seen that not to be the case these days. Yeah, and I I think part of it. Um, not listen, everything comes back to COVID in some way. And I think with COVID being a factor, people are a little bit more, like you said, on edge, they get angrier, easier, and they want to be right because maybe, you know, like they lost their job or they're, you know, like there's something going on in their lives and they, they get a little bit more frustrated and that, um, in return, takes a toll on the people they're talking to, the people like people that are trying to help them, for example, you know, they walk into a store, they want help buying something and the worker that's trying to help them is getting nothing but attitude from them. I wouldn't want to be that worker. I would probably start giving attitude back. And you don't want to do that when you're working in retail. You know, you want to always keep that smile on your face. Or underneath your mask. Or underneath your mask. <laughs> True. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, COVID kind of gave 
everyone a little something more just to be angry about when they're walking around. So when everyone has this negative mindset, they walk into a store, they're angry that they have to put on a mask. It's just not going to go well from there. It's not going to get better. There's always the potential to go nuclear. I was one time, I was working at a hardware store over the summer, and this guy, he drove, okay, during the winter, I'm sorry, he drove all the way from Staten Island to this store, and he goes, I'm here to I'm here to get a new snowblower. And I'm like, all right, he drove all the way from Staten Island. It's the middle of a snowstorm, and he wants to buy a very expensive item. I mean, if anyone's going to go nuclear, if he doesn't get his way, it's going to be this guy. And I was, I was worried that I was going to, he was going to like go off, you know? And that's just, that's just the world we retail is, but it's not just retail in, you know, in, in office jobs, you worry about your fellow employees and you worry about, you know, getting your work recognized, not, not finding yourself in a dead end, so to speak. There's a lot of pitfalls in the modern workplace that people aren't addressing because it's not something you can just fix right away, like pay or um, benefits, right? You can't just add that. You can't just make the pet, the culture better. And that goes back to what I was saying earlier. What do you think would have to happen for the such, the concern over a toxic, a mass toxic workplace culture to go away? What do you think would have to be done? Honestly, I feel like it's kind of a loaded question because, I mean, at the end of the day, when you're dealing with people, right? And Anyone who works any job is always going to think that they don't get paid enough. You know, everybody always wants a little bit more money. They always say, well, I did this and I do this for them and I do this and I need more money for that reason. Um, and even though, like, maybe giving more benefits or paying a little bit more, giving p raises to people who deserve it could help certain people, think of it from the standpoint of a person who doesn't get a raise. If, if they're giving a raise to someone who I work with, I do the same amount of work as them, and I don't get a raise, I'm going to be very upset about that. So it may create even more of that sort of toxic workplace environment, um, you know, if, if someone gets better benefits than the other person. Um, so I don't know necessarily how we could get rid of that toxic workplace environment. I'm sure there's a way, but off the top of my head, the only thing I could think of is offering more money and more benefits. And, and if that happens, it could always lead to more problems. Absolutely. I mean, it's not something that's just going to be gone in an instant. It's something that's going to take time. And companies need to learn what the needs for their specific employees are that they can compensate. And it's not always going to be money. Well, in most cases, that's going to be what the employees need to be recognized for their work. You just hope this can eventually solve itself. And you, you wonder, you know, will things stay remote in the future? I guess we're going to have to find out because this pandemic just just loves throwing curveballs at us, doesn't it? It really does. It's a, it's like a pitcher who just only throws curveballs. Why can't we just a get a nice, easy changeup that we can just hit out of the park? You know, that'd be <laughs> nice. But one person who did quit their job was a guy named Nate Meeker. And this guy, after quitting his job in, I think, 2020, he's on TikTok now. He has over 25 million views and almost 500K followers. And he's a comedian. He specializes in character work and impressions. And I spoke to Nate about his budding career as a comedian and his aspirations for the future. And this was kind of a dream come true because I've been a big fan of his for a good year now. My friends and I constantly quote his stuff. And I think there's no better way to talk about Nate than to hear what he had to say about his incredible journey onto social media. 
I'm Danny Dickerzenzo, joined by Nate Neeker, an actor, comedian, content creator, and writer to talk about his career in comedy. Nate, I'm a big fan of yours. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Yeah, thanks, Danny. Really appreciate you having me on the show. Excited to uh, chat for a little bit. So, Nate, walk me through. How did you get into doing comedy professionally? Honestly, um, you know, I was, this was, I think, the end of 2020. So, like, winter of 2020, um, kind of when the pandemic was hitting pretty hard. I was working from home. Wasn't really, you know, I, I feel like I, I felt like I needed some type of, of change of pace and everything that was going on. Um, and I always kind of wanted to do comedy and I tried to stand up before. Um, but this time around, I was like, you know what? No, I'm going to take it a little more seriously. And then I started uploading like videos on, on TikTok around the same time that I started doing stand up and kind of taking improv classes. And then one thing led to another and, uh, you know, kind of took off. And now I live in New York and I'm pursuing it full time. So it's been a lot of fun, but it's kind of crazy that it's happened within the last like year ish here in a couple months. Yeah, that sounds like a quick uh, transition to the comedic space. Who are some of your comedic inspirations when it comes to your style? Yeah, I would say um, some of my inspirations and just some of my favorite comedians in general, um, Sebastian Maniscalco, uh, Chris Rock. I've been a longtime fan of, of his. Um, Nate Bargatze is one of my current favorites as well. And then when I think of like people like inspiration and stuff, um, I do a lot of like impressions and character play. So, you know, I've, I've watched obviously a lot of like Saturday Night Live and, and sketch comedy. So um, Key and Peele, Jordan Peele, Keegan-Michael Key, some of my biggest, those are probably maybe my two biggest inspirations out there because those guys are my favorites. And then I think back to like SNL, like uh, Bill Hader, Jay Farrow, um, as far as the impressions go. So, um, so yeah, long time fan of all of those people that I just mentioned. Yeah, I'm a big SNL guy myself. I usually like to watch, binge watch uh, Norm Macdonald weekend updates whenever oh, I need yeah. a good laugh. Absolutely. Yeah, I love wa I love watching his stand up too. I've I've been going back and watching a lot of Norm's stand up and it's just it's excellent. So, yeah. And you mentioned you do a lot of character play and impressions. Why do you think that style resonates with so many people? I think I think impressions are fun because they're like it's like a unique thing. Um you know, and, and I think for me, the biggest focus on doing impressions are I try and do people that aren't as mainstream. So I think people kind of appreciate that more um, than doing like, I don't know if I, you know, did impressions of, of, you know, celebrities and characters that people have seen a bunch of times. It's, it's this, it gets to be, it's not as like relatable in a sense. Like um, I think some of the more niche impressions kind of if, if people know who it is and they know what I'm trying to go for that kind of hits a little harder than if I just did um you know uh I'm trying to think of like a really main I mean even like a like a Christopher Walken like we've been hearing people do him for like 40 years um so I think that's kind of my angle to take at it is make it a, as much as personable as possible your transition into comedy, you said certainly was unique and it was quick what advice would you give to aspiring content creators who want to follow in your footsteps I would say definitely you have to put yourself out there now um, because like now is the best time to do it. Uh, we're seeing like people, I mean, you know, get, you know, roles in movies and TV shows from starting on TikTok or Instagram. Um, and obviously YouTube has been around for a while now too, but I think you really just have to take advantage of 
kind of this new wave of platforms that we've been uh, that we've kind of been given and really just commit to it. It, it takes a little while. You're not going to like go, you know, viral on one of these platforms overnight. But I think if you, if you're like confident in your talent and you, um, and you're like willing to, you know, put yourself out there and do some trial and error and experiment with it, if you put in the work and the time, like it can def- it's definitely possible. And speaking of that work and the time, you have a variety of bits, characters, and you do a lot of impressions. How do you brainstorm specific material? What is the creative processes going on? Yeah, um, you know, sometimes it's like, I I guess for me, a lot of it is I'm just like always like observing, like I'm always taking kind of mental notes as thing, if I I, I see things happen. Um, And, you know, a lot of stuff too about brainstorming new content too, is I feel like when I'm in a, a period of like writer's block, um, I kind of go back to some bits that worked well and just kind of stem from those. So um, I, I'll have like some recurring bits that I'll use and then it'll just kind of like, once you do something once, it kind of sparks an idea to do a spin-off of it. So a lot of it is, and when you, it, it's, it is tough when you're trying to, um, especially in the very beginning, when you're trying to, um, you know, get views and, so to say blow up I guess on like a platform like TikTok you have to you have to like you're just like pumping out videos like I was doing it like minimum once or twice a day back in like the early days and um it's hard to just come up with random like new ideas like that when you're trying to put them out at that type of volume um so now I've, I've learned that it's more so building on what works and um you know just kind of going from from there instead of always trying to just think of some new idea in terms of your career where do you see yourself going in the future now that you've had now that you have a following online and you're starting to go on tour and you're building up your brand where do you see yourself going in the near future far future i think my ultimate goal is to be an actor i think that's that's the ultimate goal um right now i'm definitely in the stage of just kind of doing everything seeing what works seeing seeing what uh what lands first um, obviously I, you know, I've had dreams about Saturday night live and, you know, doing sketch shows, um, you know, as we, I'm sure you've seen, like, I think you should leave on Netflix. That's another like great sketch. So like something like that too, if we're talking like ultimate dreams. So, um, so yeah, but I think, um, until then keep doing all of it, yes, keep doing like more live shows and creating content and hopefully we'll get there. And my last question for you, I, have to ask this because I love your impression work. What is your favorite impression of yours to do? I get this one. I get this question all the time. <laughs> and I would say it's a very fair question. I would say that my favorite one to do is probably the Sebastian Maniscalco. He's my favorite. Cause he's like my, it's the most fun to get into that character. And he's my favorite fan of comedian. Um, but the one that I think is like the genuinely kind of makes me laugh the most is Michael Sarah. I love your Michael Sarah, especially the um, when you did William Defoe, the Green oh, Goblin yeah. as Michael Sarah. My friend sent that to me the day we were gonna go see Spider Man No Way Home, and he goes, "Imagine if William Defoe starts talking like this during the movie." <laughs> Dude, that's the thing. Well, I had been again, like that's a perfect example of like I'd been doing that. I for this, I don't know for whatever reason, I did this series of Michael Sarah. If he had played like every supervillain, 
So I've already done him as like Thanos and Bane as the Joker. And then I obviously saw Spider-Man like, well, you got to do him now. So It's just so, it so antithetical. You would never picture him talking like that. I know. That's what I think is the funniest is when you put those celebrities in situations that they would absolutely never be in. That's probably like, that's, I think the funniest way to do it. I could not agree more. And again, I'm Danny DiCrescenzo joined by actor and comedian Nate Meeker to discuss his career in comedy. It was such a pleasure to have you on, Nate. You as well, Danny. Thank you so much, man. I really appreciate it. Hofstra's morning wake-up call. Morning wake-up call. And we are back once again. Thank you to one of my favorite TikTok comedians, Nate Meeker, for that interview. We had a lot of fun, a lot of laughs. I love his Michael Sarah, especially that bit with the William Defoe Goblin where he just starts off saying, misery, misery, misery. I love Michael Sarah. I love Super uh, Super Bad. I saw it this year, and I couldn't stop laughing. Did you guys see Super Bad? I don't think so. Uh, no. No? With no. Jonah Hill? That's where McLovin, the joke McLovin comes oh, from. Oh, wait. No, I did see that movie. Yeah. I did see that movie. But I think it was because one of my friends wanted to watch it. I don't think I paid that much attention to it. You missed out. It's peak Jonah Hill. I don't know what to tell you. Well, <laughs> we're just going to move on from that. And Emily put in a story that now it's about this game, and I'm hooked. I played it last night. I played it this morning. I know Emily's hooked too. Why don't you tell us about it? So this year's first big trend doesn't have to do with challenges or fashion this year. It's just a simple word game called Wordle. So it's a quick and colorful word game where users get six chances to guess a randomly selected five-letter word of the day. As users play, they get colorful hints, helping them to guess the word, whether it be green if the letter's in the right place or yellow if it's in the word but in the wrong place. So it was created by a New York software engineer, Josh Wardle, this past fall, but it finally started taking off over the internet in late December and early January. Now it has more than 300,000 daily players. And Gizmodo's executive editor, Andrew Counts, he describes it as, it creates kind of a cool little pattern that the game makes it really easy to share on social media. So you can show people how well you did on the word of the day. And he believes that this easily shared pattern is what has helped it take off. Now, what are your thoughts on the game, Emily? What do you think? So I only started playing it on Saturday at work, and I got it, and now I'm hooked. If I got <laughs> it wrong, I think I would have been fine, but now I now I got to know. I got my, I started playing Saturday. I got the first word wrong. Today I got it right before the show. I was so excited, and <laughs> I'm definitely going to play tomorrow. What about you, Alexa? Um, I haven't played it. Uh, yet. I was actually thinking about downloading it after I was reading all of these little talking points that you guys wrote down on here. Um, but I, when you were playing it this morning in the studio, I could not figure out what the last letter was, so I have a feeling I'm probably going to struggle with this game a little bit. No, it's, you'll be alright. It's not, it just, you need to just know, so what happens is you put the letters in, right, and then it get, it tells you all right. The gray means a gray letter means it's not, it's in, not the word. in the word. Right? Yellow letter means it's in the word, but it's not in the right place. And the green letter, as Emily mentioned earlier, it's in the word in the right place. So it's just a process of elimination. And you have five. And you have what? Five tries. Six tries. Six tries to get it right. So it gets really challenging, and you want to see how many, how few tries you can get it, how you get the word. And I love word search game, word games like this, and I think. It's fun because if you get it wrong, you're just irked for the rest of the day knowing that you messed up. Because I'm at least I'm that competitive. But word search games in general, I saw in the rundown you put down 
the it game was, Wordscape. Wordscape. That was that. Yes. Took, that was the hold that game had. I loved that game for a really long time, and I played it probably every single day. And then I got really far into it. I was on a high level, and there was one puzzle. I don't know if if you're familiar with the game Wordscape. It's um, it looks kind of like a like a game of Scrabble, and it's set up. Um, I can't think of like what that kind of game is called, but it's kind of set up like that. And you get a bunch of words and you have a bunch of letters and you have to make words out of those letters and they fit into this puzzle. And I, I loved that game for so long and I got to one set of letters and I, there was probably two or three words left in the puzzle and I could not figure them out. And I stared at them for days and I couldn't figure it And I just, I got so angry I deleted the app. Oh. And I, I have not gone back since. Because <laughs> I just got, like, I'm very competitive. And if I can't do it, I'm just not, like, I just give up. Because I was like, there's no way that I'm going to sit here and stare at these letters that are beating me at this game. Because I like to think that I'm pretty good with my words most of the time. I was like, this word is beating me, and I can't let that happen. So I just gave up, and I deleted that. I think you just described the same thing that happened to me. I was also playing it on a high level. I couldn't figure it out. The app is no longer on my phone. It will <laughs> not come back because I couldn't figure it out. But, you know, the big thing that has made Wordle so popular is that everyone's playing it. And if you get it wrong and all of your friends get it right, now the next day you're going to come back. You need to know what it was. You need to win. Nothing motivates you more than you getting it wrong and all of your friends getting it right. <laughs> Just the the teasing and the oh, the yeah the mockery. It's it, it eats away at your soul. Especially it, if you have those friends who won't let you forget. And uh, like ha ha ha! Like we got it right and you didn't. And then they'll you know harp on it for the entire day. Because I'm one of those people. I'm not gonna lie. If my <laughs> friend got it wrong, I would be texting them all day and be like, oh, "Well, guess what I did? And I got it right. What What did you do today? That's totally me." So I, my friends are the same way. Which, like, if we were all playing this game, I don't think I'd survive. It's it's survival of the fittest. What can you say? In survival of the wordiest. The wordiest. Yeah, I don't know. The wordiest. The, I don't. I don't know if that's. I mean, I guess maybe that's the word you could use here. Yeah. And plus, playing this game can help ex- strengthen your brain. It's a brain teaser, you know? Most word games are supposed to help you strengthen your brain, but they just make me angry sometimes. <laughs> like, I love words. I remember when I was in my high school play my senior year during the fall, before every show, one of the cast members would bring a word search b- backstage, and he he would always get stuck on like a couple words and he'd always give it to me and I'd figure it out like right away. Word searches are fun. They are so fun. It's this it's like games like like Wordscape where they just give you a bunch of letters and you have to make words. Those make me angry. The word search at least like if I stare at it long enough, I will find it eventually. It's the gears in my brain that need to make up words from letters in front of me that don't like to work when I want to play games like that. Well, you know what? Fortunately, on my three-day streak, I am still winning. I will not lose because I know that the loss is going to be brutal. I mean, if you've been on Twitter the past few days looking at the trending Wordle, there are over 6,000 tweets in an hour about it. Wow. Poor David Tennant finally lost to his wife, Georgia Tennant. Oh. Brutal. That's brutal. (laughs) It's so competitive. I think that's the beauty of it. 
it's that you can foster this competition because if it's just a game you play by yourself and you compete by yourself, only a select few people can really enjoy that sort of experience. You know, because while the computer is always there to play against you, it can get boring and stale playing against the CPU. But when you know you're competing with other people, you can make it a competition. That's when games stick, and that's when you are able to integrate the game into your social life. And that is what gives the game, in effect, its second life. Yeah, you know? Playing against friends definitely makes things a lot more fun because there's that competition, because there's that talk to each other, that smack talk when you're like, uh oh. I, I won today, did you? And they didn't, and you just try to like ruin their day with that information. And it, not to say that, but like it makes it fun because you, you constantly are going at each other and it keeps this sense of competition. And like you said, if you're playing with a computer, it's cool, you wanna beat the computer, you could say you beat the computer, that, but it's not the same because you can't smack talk a computer and feel really good about yourself after. You're like, oh, I just beat a computer, that's cool, I guess. Yeah, like Super Smash Brothers, I love that game on my Switch. I would much rather destroy my friend in Super Smash Brothers than beat the computer like 20 times. Having that one win over my friend where I just completely demolish him, be like, yeah, look at you, you suck, versus <laughs> versus me beating the CPU 20 times and like not losing a single stock the entire time, it wouldn't be fun. It wouldn't be fun for me. That's just me, though. Absolutely. I mean, beating your younger brother definitely has a better feel than beating the computer. Yeah, I agree. Especially because my younger brother, who's definitely listening to me talk about him right now, he plays video games a lot. So he knows strategies. You know, So if I play video games with him, chances are he's going to beat me. If I get him to play this game, Wordle... Um, Nick, I'm coming for you. I guess I'll I guess I'll try to beat you in this game, and you can continue to beat me in everything else that we play. Uh, you gotta you know. find your leg up. You got you gotta find your leg up, man. I, Emily, just thank you for putting this in. Thank you because this is a good little story that now I'm hooked. I'm I'm we're both we're all of us are on the train on the hype train. Absolutely. If I get it right tomorrow, I'm gonna let you know. Good. Yeah, I'll let you know too. I'll let you know. I'll be on my two day word streak. You know what? I, let's count me in. I'll start playing, and we'll see which member of Monday morning wake-up call can get the word first. All right. N by next show, we will update our listeners the standings. Who gets it first? We'll do this tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Tomorrow. Or for the rest of the week. Let's, yeah. let's keep let's tally. Go. Keep let's keep going. the score. Yeah. We'll see who does it first. And then, I don't know. Winner gets to trash talk the losers. On air. On air. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That'll be fun. This is gonna be my downfall. Now I'm gonna start getting them all wrong. Uh, it's because there's pressure now. Yeah. <laughs> pressure. Now you you were like, oh, I have a three day winning streak, and now you're like, <laughs> you over. like boasted like, about it, and now we're like, oh, we're, we're it could be gone in an instant. Oh no! In an instant. Look out! We're on our way. <laughs> I'm a little afraid now. You'll well, be fine. that's good. I can't wait for next show. But that I think is gonna do it for this show. Do you guys have any closing thoughts before we wrap it up? Um, I don't. I mean. We we had a good conversation today. Oh yeah. Um definitely put on a jacket. It's windy. Yes, please. Dress warm, stay inside unless you have to go somewhere, you know, watch a movie or two or three. I know that's what I'm going to be doing. And have a good day everybody. This has been the Monday Morning Wake Up Call and Ryan Pagano, Eddie Fitz and Dexter Shmovonian will be back with the Morning Wake Up Call tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. sharp. Until then, have a great rest of your Monday.